Welcome to the Calvary Lake Ozark Message Podcast. Wherever you are tuning in from today, we hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. If you'd like more information about Calvary Lake Ozark, visit calvarylakeozark.com. Good morning. Hey, uh, we are in Colossians, and so if you want to grab your Bibles and open up to Colossians 3, as you're turning, I have a couple things that I just want to announce and talk about. Um, if you've ever came to second service, what you'll find is there is like no empty seats. You got to sit directly up against somebody that you don't even like, and they probably smell a little bit, right? Amen. Um, no, I'm just teasing. But it really is uh, pretty packed in the second service. And so if you remember Father's Day, we moved to three services. And so third service, very similar to what we're seeing even right now this morning. And so we're, we're growing. Um, and a lot of people, especially uh, that are leaving first service and they see the, the swarm of people second service or vice versa, second to third, we've been starting to get a few questions like, uh, hey, what are you, uh, what, what you doing here? Like, you know, like there's only so much room in the can for sardines, right? And so uh, we just wanted to like try to be as transparent and open as possible. Now we have developed a campus development team with people way smarter than me, which that's really not that high of a bar, but they are. Um, specifically in the sense of, hey, what can we do with what God has given us? So if you remember Vision Sunday, last year we burned the mortgage because our church is debt-free and we own everything, which is just a blessing of the Lord. Yes, absolutely, I would applaud that. <clears throat> and so now we're just walking through and saying, okay, the Lord, you're doing a work here, and we want to stay in step with you. You know, not that we're trying to do something, build it, and they will come. Like, the Lord's doing a work, and we just want to stay in step with Him. So we have put together a campus development team, and they are looking at all the feasible options of what is our next step as a church is uh, to provide more space for us here at Calvary. And then not even, you know, uh, in here, uh, take one Sunday if they'll let you. I don't know. Some of you don't have a good background check. But if you just look into Cal Kids and you see those four small rooms, it's actually pretty tight in there. And, and there's a lot of kids in there. And so we need all kinds of more space, not just here. We've talked through parking and Cal Kids and even in the foyer. You know, we want to provide a space and an opportunity that we're not just in and out on a Sunday, but we have fellowship with one another. And we need a space for that. And so campus development team, be praying for them. Um, and as they are kind of looking at the logistics and the, and the true options that we have as a church and taking our next step forward and just be praying that, you know, again, we're in step with what God is doing and we're not getting ahead of them and we're not lagging behind. And in part with that, we kind of have a soft launch of something. So Again, it usually happens a lot in second service. We'll get full and we'll say, hey, sorry guys, if you want, you can go upstairs and we stream the service through the cameras and all that techie stuff that again, above my pay grade, I don't understand any of that. That's why you have a Geron in your life, right? Amen. Um, and so we are turning the upstairs more into a different worship experience. So it's not just overflow. I've told the staff and the board, like we will not use that term anymore. Um, and so we want to create an area upstairs um, that is a secondary, uh, just another worship experience. So you can, we can come to Calvary Lake Ozark and there's worship in the sanctuary. 
upstairs uh, in what we're going to call the loft, or as we've had for a couple years now, the online campus. And so if you're not too busy, you want to hang out, go upstairs after service and check it out, we'd love to invite you to that. And so hopefully you'll be hearing more about that. But just wanted to give some, uh, just some real practical logistical, hey, what's going on at Calvary and how are we just trying to stay faithful to what God is doing in and through us. And so, um, yeah, all good things. Yeah, it's all good things. So if you have your Bibles, we are in Colossians chapter 3. Last week we talked about if Christ is my all, and this morning um, just kind of hearing what Paul is telling us, what the Holy Spirit is telling us through Paul, I titled the message, Since Christ is my all. And so hopefully last week you asked yourself that question, is Christ my all? And if we're really transparent, sometimes it's hard to say yes to that. And we know we're supposed to say yes because we're in church, right? Who's walking in here saying, no, not at all. I'm just here for the donuts, right? They're not that good. And so, of course, Christ is our all. But because he is, since Christ is my all, what should my life look like? The, the time between us giving our life to the Lord and whatever amount of time he has given us until he calls us home or he's going to return, that matters, if it didn't, we would hold you under in baptism and just send you straight on, right? And that is a ministry I would love to provide for some of you. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> was that a threat? Did that? Yeah. Yeah, and it's being recorded too. Isn't that horrible? But what does my life look like since Christ is my all? Like how should my life look different and change? And, and not for what I think my life should look like. The question is, what does Jesus want my life to look like? And I think this is what Paul is talking about. So we're picking up in verse 12. I'm going to read this little passage here. He says, put on then. And that word then in the original is therefore. So again, always going back to everything that we've already read about being raised with Christ and our life is hidden within with him. So put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. I love that. Even if one person has a complaint against another, we're forgiving each other, that there's a little bit of forgiveness on both sides of the conflict. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body. And be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so I always love like um, anything that we do in our life when we are talking about our faith in Jesus is always in response. Like we're, we're the second to act, that God was the one that initiated a work of faith in our life. So anything that we do, we're never doing this for God. We're doing it because of God. It's always in response to God's work in our life. And, and Paul gives us like a quick little identity check. 
So if you're asking ourselves, like, okay, why do I want to put all these things on my life? Like, why do I want to change who I am and have these, you know, tender mercies and kindness and compassion? Like, why am I, why do I need to do this? Because of God. It's always because of him, and we're always looking at our lives through that light. What he did on the cross for us now gives us a responsibility of our lives in response to him. And so he gives us this quick little identity check. Uh, he'd already has said in chapter 2, verse 13, that we're forgiven. So that's a part of our identity as believers. Understand that, that you are forgiven. Not that God will forgive you. He has forgiven you. You're forgiven. And we struggle with that. We struggle with forgiveness a lot of times because, uh, for me at least, this is a little moment of uh, therapy and counseling that I need. Thank you for being here. I don't struggle with all of my past sins that I committed when I was in my BC living for my flesh and desires and I, and I didn't truly know Christ or, and I didn't surrender my life to him. Those still flare up every once in a while. But really, that I, I understand. I am, I am forgiven for that. My biggest struggle is now as a believer where I fall short of the glory of God. It's, it's not the, you know, like when we go clear back up to verse 5, it's not all of those sins that I used to just live in that I struggle with. It's now as a believer just my anger, my lack of patience. It's, it's going to be these little things, this coveting and being critical that are like, that's what affects me the most. Like, God, why would you like, because I know what you've done and I'm still acting like this BC that doesn't care about anything except for himself. Like I struggle more in that. And so we always have to understand who we are and we are forgiven, not just from all the BC stuff, but even now in our normal everyday lives where we fall short of the glory of God, there's forgiveness available to us. One of my professors always would tell us, keep short accounts with God. Don't let things go on for a long period of time. If you've stepped outside of the bounds and the lines of what he's called us as believers, keep short accounts. It's almost like if you're in a, a fight with your spouse, regardless of who started it, and guys, we all know who it was. We don't need to say it out loud. It's okay. We all know. And we say something kind of stupid. Just say right then and there, hey, I am so sorry that I said that. Do you forgive me? Don't, don't wait three weeks later. I promise you, your wife will hate waiting three weeks after you've said that. And she'll remember like a crocodile. And just, no, all right, moving on. So we are forgiven. We're chosen. There's a whole lot of theological depth right there, but let's keep listening to what Paul has for us. So we're chosen. We'll talk about that. We're holy. We're set apart. That's what that word means, that we're holy. We are set apart. And not just being like, you know, we're not these like really, you ever go to your grandparents' house and they had all those really nice knickknacks that you couldn't touch? You know, my grandparents had this glass case full of junk. <laughs> That's what it was. But it was holy junk. It was set apart junk. It was plates and dishes and cups and things that you just couldn't touch. We don't use those. Then why do we have them? Because they're set apart and they are holy, Right? And then when they pass away, it was like, who wants this? Nobody, throw it out. Okay, there we go. Grandma's holy stuff we throw out. But we are set apart, not just set up on a shelf to look at and we're pretty. God's not just looking at us and be like, oh, look at that. Little Nick Pierce right there. Isn't that neat? Oh, little Dave Sperling. So cute. No, we're set apart for a purpose. We're set apart for his will. And that getting back into being chosen, but also we're beloved. 
That word is agape love. And we'll, we'll break that down here later in the sermon, but that's who we are. And that word chosen, don't get tripped up on that. What anytime that you see the word chosen in scripture, it is always chosen for a service to God or for suffering. That word is always used in those two contexts, nothing else. It's never used in the sense of salvation. Because there is some theological branches that want to say that. God chose me to save me, but he didn't choose others. Do you listen to what you just said about God? Who desires all to come to repentance? but he only chooses some for salvation. That word chosen in scripture is only used of service and of suffering. And so hold here, go to 1 Peter, if you would. 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. <clears throat> Peter says in his epistle, but you, he's talking about the church, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. And we understood priests were to bring people to God, a holy nation a people of his own possession. And you're thinking like, hold on, I've, I've, I've read those words before. Where did that come from? Well, he's pulling from Exodus. Exodus chapter 19, right before God gives the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, he's looking at Israel and he says the same thing. That if, if you will indeed obey my voice, keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. That we understand that Israel was chosen by God for a service. And if we understand anything about the Jews, there's a little bit of suffering in their history as well. And the same for us as a body of believers. We are chosen, that we are a part of God's plan. We're not the end of God's plan. And a lot of time we get that mixed up that we think, okay, God saved me and that's all he wants to do. No, that's like step one of God's plan. Because God's plan is about bringing heaven and earth back together. They've been ripped apart by sin. He wants to bring heaven and earth back together. That's his plan. We just get to be a part of God's plan. We're not the end all be all of God's plan. He's doing a work. He's doing something, and he invites us. He chooses us to be a part of what he is doing. And so because of that, understanding our identity, now Paul says, okay, now we, we got to talk about who we are. Now what should people see in us? And he says, put on then compassionate hearts. The other words could be used, you might have, if you have a different translation, tender mercies. This is a deep feeling of one's misfortune that there should be a sensitivity about us in regard to other people around us. So when we hear a brother or sister that is grieving or hurting because of whatever situation, we're not saying, oh, what comes around goes around. No, that, that it should affect us. And not even just in the household of God, but even on the outside. That it should break our hearts when we see the oppression of humanity and how that's been played out in multiple different cultures and areas. You know, just studying the amount of kids that die every day because of waterborne illnesses, that they don't have clean water to drink, that should keep you up at night. 35,000 a day, just because they don't have clean water. And so walk into the cafe, ask them about Filter of Hope. We actually have one. That's what that weird bucket is with a little tube on it. It looks like a catheter type thing. Yeah, that's a $40 water filter that provides a whole village with clean drinking water. They don't have to boil it or nothing. And that's just one part that we should have a compassionate heart for. 
but not even just those on the outside of our country, but even our community right now. Why were we at the Fall Fest? Because we want to be sensitive to those around us, that they might have some battle going on in their life that they're not even going to be open and transparent with us about, but we still want to be a voice of hope. I'll stand all day long at Hy-Vee and drop candy into bags if a family can find a good church home and understand the love of Jesus and allow it to transform their life. A payday, well worth it. Snickers, any day of the week. If we have that opportunity to say, hey, we want, to be, we want you to be a part of our family. Do that any day of the week. And so we got to have compassionate hearts. And Paul continues, he says, we need kindness, which in our English, we have a hard word. We don't have one word that can perfectly translate what is being used here in the Greek. It's a mix of goodness and kindness. Another definition could be a gentle moral excellence. Useful, meeting real needs God's way. There's absolutely real needs in our community. There's real needs even in the household here. But we need to meet those God's way, not our own way. We need to have kindness in that. Jesus used this word in Matthew 11:30 when he says, "Come to me all who are burdened and heavy laden." And he says, "My yoke is easy." That word easy, that's what he's using right there. My yoke is good, it is kind. My yoke is a gentle moral excellence that we get to come up under, that gets put on us. This is useful, that if you take my yoke, that you'll be meeting real needs, that you're gonna have a real purpose of your life, but you're gonna do it my way. Even in the original Greek, and, and grammar is not a strong suit of mine. You can ask my son. He loves to correct me in my grammar all the time, uh, especially in English, the one language I do speak, so let alone go into Greek. But the word kindness and the word that they use for Christ, it's a homophone. So it's two different words, different definitions, but they, they sound the exact same. That as we talk about kindness, we are saying the exact same words that we use of Christ. Christus. And so this kindness, this mix of good, kind, gentle, moral excellence, this is what we need to be putting on in our lives. And he moves on. These are just kind of continuing to build. And he says, humility, a lowliness of mind. We've talked about that humility is not thinking less of yourself. Oh, Nick, you're so horrible and da-da-da-da. Why would anybody? No, no, no. That's not humility. That's self-harm. That, that needs a counselor and a, and a therapist in your life. That's self-harm. Humility, because Jesus was humble and had full humility, is thinking about yourself less. It's not about me. It's literally what our invite cards that we've made up, that we put by the front door, that's why we've said that, that it's not about us, it's about the Lord. And so I need that reminder that this, our life, our ministry, what we are doing, even what God wants to do personally, it's not about me. That I need to think of myself less, it's about others around me. And this word humility, it's actually a parent word for the next two that we're going to talk about, meekness and patience. Meekness is humility in my actions towards others. See, that word meekness, a lot of times we think weakness, and that's not what it is. Meekness is a humility in your actions towards others, where you have the power and the ability, but you restrict that for the good of others around you that you're not going to force or coerce or manipulate others to get about what you want in life, but you're going to have meekness. 
that you're going to have humility in your actions. And then patience is a humility in your reaction to other people. This is what patience truly is, is where we're not going to become impatient, filled with resentment over the weakness of others. Because again, in community, we're going to see that. Even, let's use as staff as an example. Us as a staff, we all have strengths and we all have weaknesses. There is a reason Taylor was the first hire I ever made here at Calvary. Because my administration skills, not the strongest. I need somebody that has more of a brain for that to fill in the gaps of my weaknesses. And so what we're not going to get is impatient when I forget there's a date or I forget to write something down because my administration skills aren't the best. We're going we're to show humility to one another in how we react with one another. And he continues on that we need to be bearing with one another. This means to endure or to have patience with. All these attributes, these little virtues are almost kind of overlapping and stacking on each other. And so we're going to endure with one another. And you'll be thinking, yeah, but you don't know who's in my life. I have a 17-year-old. I'm enduring, right? We're getting to that point where he is his own person, but he still lives under my house. He has his own will, mind, and emotions, and they're not mine. And so there's times that we clash, and he's having to endure his old man. And he has to endure living in my house, and I have to endure him living in my house. It's going really well. I love my son. My son loves me. But you get the idea. How long do I have to endure this? And the question here, think of what Jesus said in Mark 9, 19. He looked at the disciples. How long should I have to bear with you? And so if we're struggling with somebody that just, you know, there's, uh, uh, it's a theological term, EGRs, extra grace required people in our life that they just need a little extra grace to be able to deal with. If you don't have an EGR in your life, you are the EGR. (laughs) (laughs) And that's okay. I am an EGR to certain people, right? Just like, you know what? Just being around you, the Lord is testing me. He's doing a work in my heart because I really don't like you. That's, and I get it. We all are all EGRs to other certain people. Like my family, all six of us, right? Six of us. Outside of me, the rest of the five would sleep in till one in the afternoon. Me, I'm up seven o'clock and not just awake. I love mornings. Like I'm playing some Beatles in the kitchen. I want to cook. I'm loud. I'm singing. All of them, EGR. Dad, can you just, you're at like a 10. Can you bring it down a little bit? How long must I endure with you? And so there's people like that in our life that we have to endure. The question is, how long did Jesus endure us? Think of a teacher that's trying to teach some concept, like a math class, and the kid's just not getting it. And you walk in every day, and you got to teach to the lowest kid in the class, right? And he's just not getting it, he's not getting it, and you're just wondering, how long do I endure before I kick him out or I hold him back? But isn't it amazing the day that he gets it? All of a sudden, his eyes are just open. He's like, now I understand. See, I was like that. You always had to put fraction problems in pizza. Half, quarter, three-fourths. I, I got that. Buckets of chicken. If you put it in food, I could understand it. 
And so my math teacher had to endure with me until I understood. And think of how long Jesus endured with us when we didn't understand his grace. We didn't understand his love and his mercy and how we just kept wanting to live our life for our own desires and he's just enduring all the sin and the craziness that we're doing. Why? Because at the same time that God is enduring, not just us, but the evil in this world, people are coming to faith. People are coming to a saving relationship with Jesus. And so how long do we endure with these EGRs in our life? The same amount of time that Jesus endured with us. Because not only is God doing a work in their life, God's doing a work in your life. And that EGR might be in your life, not because they need you, you might need them to be able to have the fullness of who Christ is living in you. And then lastly, our favorite, we need to forgive each other. And this is always in light in the context of God forgiving us in Jesus, through Jesus. And so generosity is our privilege. And we're not talking about just money and tithing and gifts and whatever. We're talking about, are we generous in our kindness? Are we generous in our patience, our endurance of one another? Are we generous in our forgiveness? Or do we hold that back? Because you don't know how they've wronged me. And here's, here's the straight up truth. We'll never forgive like Jesus. Not that God changes, but he chooses not to remember our sins. And so our goal is to forgive like that. But if we're going to be honest, we always remember. And it never says to forgive and forget in Scripture. It says to forgive like Christ forgave you. But we always have that little bit in the back of our mind. I forgive you, but... And that's not true biblical forgiveness. And the person that you're hurting the most when you're trying to withhold forgiveness as a whole or in part from the person, you're hurting yourself. You're not hurting them. I love the line that says, when we refuse to give forgiveness, it's like we are eating rat poison trying to kill the rat. And in a room this size, I'm not so naive to think there's probably some of us that are withholding forgiveness. And what's crazy, it's probably not even for really, really big issues when we really get transparent with ourselves, it's how petty we can be that we withhold forgiveness. And again, in a room this size, there's probably some of us that need to go to our brother that we've wronged, or sister, and seek forgiveness. But again, that's gonna take humility. That's gonna take a lowliness of who we are. But again, that's what's gonna, that's where we need Christ moving and working in our life. And he says, so with all of this, put on love, right? So turn to 1 Corinthians. Most of you uh, probably had this read at your wedding, and it's just a beautiful little wedding passage, but that was never the intent that Paul had for it. It was for the church. It's good. Read it. Continue to read it at weddings, but know that it's a passage not just for marriage. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give all away, all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned... 
but have not love, I gain nothing. It's almost like all these virtues are stacking up, but the umbrella of all of it is Christian love. Because without love, all these other virtues that we've talked about, patience and meekness and humility, kindness, bearing, forgiving, without love, we distort them. We distort them and they become unbalanced. It's almost like empty calories, right? Like those little Swiss cake rolls that I love so much. They're so good, but they're empty calories because after a few of those, it starts to do damage to your body real quick. And you start to really feel sick because that's not truly the nourishment that our body needs. They're empty calories. Tastes good, looks good on the outside, but keep going and see if it does not put you in illness. It definitely does not bring wellness in our life. And so when we do not put on love, it distorts all these other virtues. But the Holy Spirit through Paul is saying, put on love and it's going to bind everything in perfect harmony. And I love that. He doesn't say melody and I don't sing. So like, I'm not even going to try. But melody is note for note that we're matching one another. Scripture doesn't say we need melody. We need harmony, meaning that you're going to raise your kids differently than how maybe the family across the aisle is going to raise their kids. They're going to spend their free time differently than how you're going to spend your free time. And we're not talking about essential issues, right? We're all in God's house. We're all under the same rules. We're like a bunch of siblings. Like I have four kids. They all are held to the father's rules, the father's standards, but how each of them live out their life is going to be different. And what they can't do in non-essential things is look at each other and fight about it. No, they don't need to be melody, note for note. They need harmony. Because a lot of times the biggest fights, especially inside the church, are going to be over non-essential things. I've heard of churches splitting over the color of the carpet, the color of the hymnals. That's why we rip the hymnals and the carpet out. We'll just keep going until there's something we can't fight about. We'll strip this bad boy down to the foundation, but I bet just let our flesh take over. We'll fight about somebody got the good spot of the concrete and not somebody else. Heard of one church splitting because two deacons fought about the size of the piece of ham they got at the Easter potluck. We're going to go off and start a new church. What are you going to call it? Bigger piece of ham? Like, really? Like, that's what... That's how petty we can be? Yep. But we need harmony with one another. We need meekness, patience, forgiveness. But if we don't have love, because love perfectly fulfills what God requires of us in relationships. Just like last week when we were talking about put to death all those really crazy sins in verse 5 and all the other respectable sins in verse 8, those were all done in the context of relationships, right? If you're on a deserted island, you can't really get angry at anybody. There's nobody there to get mad at. You can't, you know, uh, covet someone if somebody's not there. And so the same breath, except the opposite side, when you look at all these virtues that we are supposed to put on, we cannot put these on without the context of Christian fellowship and relationships. And so the idea for us is to walk in here on a Sunday morning, sit by ourselves, talk to no one, and leave because we just need to get a good word and a good dose of Jesus for your week you're amputating the very thing that God has called you to be a part of. And you're amputating yourself away from the body 
that we need. And we all need ministries of the body of Christ. We need fellowship because we cannot fully live out the faith that Jesus has called us to if we don't have one another. There's 59 one another commands that we have in the New Testament to love one another, forgive one another, encourage one another, correct one another. We love that one, right? But if there's no one another in our life, how do we fully live out the love that Christ has commanded and called us to live out? That we need each other. And that's why he continues and says, now let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts because you're called into one body. That as he's talking about all these virtues, he's seeing it in the context of the body of Christ. Not individual believers, but as the church. And so when we, you know, sometimes it happens very rarely, but somebody will come up and say, man, that sermon really impacted me. Good, I'm glad it did. This, this word needs to impact us. Paul wasn't preaching to a couple people like really hoping, you know, Jeff over here would really understand this sermon. No, he's talking to a church. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And that word rule is uh, where you get act as an umpire or to make a call. So a significant portion of our faith is lived out in community in a community that's marked by peace. Well, what happens if there's conflict within this community? The peace of Christ is going to be our umpire. And so if you watched the Kansas City Chiefs game last week and the referees, first time in all of the NFL that they actually used blind referees for a game, <laughs> right? I get it, equal opportunity employment, but I just feel like that should be a criteria for the game. And their calls when there is a conflict on the field, and sometimes when there wasn't even a conflict, they like to throw the flag. And it would actually change the course of the game. If you've ever been to a game in Kansas City, you make one bad call, that place will roar and erupt. And proudly, I was at the game where we broke the sound barrier. I had no part of it. But what happens when our community of faith and there's a conflict because somebody got a bigger piece of ham than you? Because you know what? I really don't like the color of the carpet. Or I just don't like how that's being done. When we're talking about non-essential things, what do we do? We're going to look to the peace of Christ and that's going to be our umpire. It's going to make the call. Because the peace of Christ will do nothing apart from the love of Christ. And so anytime there's conflict, I love, I think it's in Philippians where Paul is talking about two ladies that are in conflict. He doesn't even bring up the issue. Why? Because the issue doesn't matter. The harmony and the fellowship, the peace of the body matters more than who's right. And we can be right. Or we can have peace with one another. We can be right or we can reach our community. Like I, it's not arrogance. I know I'm right about Jesus. I'm not going to sit and talk to anybody that's going to convince me otherwise. You know, like when I'm talking to my kids and they'll say something and be like, oh, I know I'm right. They're like, oh, dad, you were right. I know. And they hate that. And I just smile at them. But within my faith, I know I'm right. I've been convinced not deceived, I've been convinced, I've seen the evidence for Jesus 
for his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. I've seen all that. I know that I'm right. I have no desire to go out into our community, Bible thump people into an argument so I can win. Nobody ever comes to faith in that. But I need the peace of Christ to allow the love of Christ to rule in my life. Where something that the world doesn't really get to experience a whole lot is love. And so let the peace of Christ rule. So anytime there's going to be a conflict, we're going to let the peace of Christ rule because the peace of Christ, the never in conflict with the love of Christ, that agape love, doing what God prefers. So there's times that we're going to be in conflict and we're going to let the peace of Christ, what's it going to tell us to do? What does God prefer me to do in this situation? Go back for seconds with your ham. It's okay. I'll go to McDonald's and get you a cheeseburger. It's going to be all right that if we look at the issue that is causing division amongst us in light of the division that we had from God, what could be greater? Nothing. That at once that we were separated from God, but he loved us, that he came to us so that we would be at peace with him. That's where this peace of Christ rules in our heart, not this peace of his inner tranquility and our life is just burning down around us. No, no, no. The peace of Christ knowing that at one time we were in conflict with God because of our sin, that we were children of wrath, but because of his blood on the cross, the death that we deserved, and because of our faith in him, he has brought us with peace with the Father. So how can we forgive and love? And Because I know how much I'm loved. I know how much I'm forgiven. How long did God endure me? How long will I endure you? It's that's my example. This is how we allow the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts, and that's how the love of Christ comes. Because when we understand that God brought us peace with God, it is because of his love. And he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That we cannot understand the love of Christ without the word of Christ. What other book has God written to reveal himself to humanity? Where else would we find the love of Jesus and the gospel proclaimed to us? Yes, general revelation, very needed, but special revelation. That's why the word of God is so important. And Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you. That word dwell is the same like in John 1.14, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us that Jesus dwelt. The second person of the Godhead of who God is dwelt with us. That's how we need to allow the word of Christ to dwell in us. And it says richly, richly, not scarcely, not enough just to get by, you know, in your hurry, you got to eat dinner real quick compared to like Thanksgiving where you take all day to eat. Let the word dwell in us richly. And listen to what he says. He's talking about letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly so much that we start in worship. That the word, let us be so full of the word of God that it brings about worship in us. And there's times that we are reading and we just, you know, just the Holy Spirit opens our minds to just another greater depth of God's love for us. And does it not just uh, ignite in us worship? So the Lord hit me with one of these this week in my own private study. And it fits so well, I think, in the sermon. Remember when Jesus, in the beginning of John, um, he's walking around and John the Baptist and a couple of his disciples, you know, John says, hey, there's the Lamb of God going to take away the sin of the world. Nice big statement there. And then you get Peter and Andrew. 
that they start following Jesus. And then we have the next two that start following Jesus. And one of them is a guy named Nathaniel. And he was the one like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He's like, well, come and see. That's what his brother, his brother, brother bought, brought him to Jesus. And as he's walking up, Jesus says to him, he's like, look, there's an Israelite in whom no deceit. So it shows us that Nathaniel is probably a very good, upstanding, moral person. And Jesus looks at him and he says, hey, I saw you under the fig tree. And then all of a sudden, Nathaniel just, just ex uh, exclaims his faith that you're the son of God just because he saw him under a fig tree. That term, under the fig tree, is actually a rabbinic, what rabbis used to say. It's like a saying about meditating on the scriptures. So he really didn't see Nathaniel sitting under a tree. And possibly rabbis would teach under trees like that. But it was more of a saying talking about meditating on the word of God. And so Jesus looks at Nathaniel and says, I saw you. I saw you meditating on the word of God, chewing on it, reading and just processing the things of God. And I almost wonder if Jesus was trying to get to the point of, I saw you meditating on the scriptures. Did you see me? Because all the law and the prophets and the writings were all written about Jesus and the love of God, that he would send his son. And so I think us as a church, where should we be? Under the fig tree. But I think all of us really need to look at our lives and how do we allow the word of Christ to dwell in us richly? Now, if you have a fig tree at home, go sit under it. See, let me know how it goes. Or it could be on your drive to work. You just take a few scriptures instead of listening to the radio, just chew on, think on, meditate on the word of God. Because what's beautiful as we are doing that, what did Jesus tell him? I saw you there, that we're not alone, that as we are allowing the word of Christ to dwell in us, Christ is with us and he is dwelling with us, the Holy Spirit inside of us. And if we understand the word of Christ and it shows us the peace of Christ and the love of Christ, just work it backwards all the way up. That, and that is how we're going to be able to forgive one another and endure one another and have humility and this meekness and patience in our actions and reactions towards people. How could I ever show kindness, not niceness, but kindness of fruit of the spirit? How am I ever going to have tender mercies, compassionate hearts for others and what they are going through? Because we are forgiven. We are chosen we are wholly set apart, and we are beloved. Where do we ever find those words about us? In the word of Christ. That we need to sit under the fig tree and allow the word of Christ to dwell in us richly because that is where our identity, our true identity as believers comes from. That's where the motivation to be the hands and the feet of Jesus in our community and our faith community comes from. That's how we can have harmony with one another, and that's where we have peace with God because of Jesus. So Father, we love you, we trust you, and we thank you, Lord. We thank you that we can look to your word and we see you. And I pray as we continue to look to your word and meditate on your scriptures and allow it to change who we are, we see you, but I pray that the world would see you in us. 
that the more that we allow your word to dwell in us, the more we allow your word to change and to transform our lives, that it's not about us. That every step of our faith journey, that we continually surrender and submit ourselves to you and allow you to do a work in us. Give us that kind of faith, Lord, knowing that you have a purpose and a reason for our lives and that you invite us alongside of what you are already doing in this world. And so, Lord, we come to you with open, willing hands. Use us as you see fit to be a part of your will, your plan, as you are restoring all that is broken. We thank you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen.